Dear listener and fellow story lover, This week's story depicts a circumstance that can be all too familiar to children and adults alike. I wonder if something similar has happened to you. I hope you enjoy this week's Stories from Before. Rhonda and the Gobblelinks Written by Rose Beattie Read by Selena Cadell By permission of the Lutterworth Press Music by Stacey Weir Listen to me, Cecil. I probably can't play much more this summer, Rhonda announced portentously, because my grandfolks are coming and I'll be entertaining. Who ever heard of grandfolks? The boy challenged, ignoring the dire prophecy. I just say grandfolks for all of Grandpa's family, because naming takes too long, she enlightened him. The grandfolks arrived, and for a while Rhonda saw very little of Cecil, he having retired modestly before the blaze of her popularity. Her grandfolks surrendered unconditionally to Rhonda's charms. On the very first day, Auntie June declared, She's simply perfect, Louise. And now, for three auspicious days, the sunlight of their approval had continued to pour radiantly about her. She enjoyed it at first, complacently. Now, after three days, she was beginning to realise that she missed Cecil. They had always had such good times together. Leaving Grandma's side, she climbed on the little stool beside the fence and tiptoed for a view of what was going on on the other side. Cecil was not far off. He seemed to be doing nothing but walking about and looking around. Cecil, come over and play, she called. He shuffled nearer, but kept discreetly out of sight of the older people. I have to stay close to our house, he answered evasively. Rhonda slipped down quietly. She was just passing the big spiria bush at the corner of the house, veering Cecilwood full tilt when her mother called. Reluctantly, she trudged back to where her family were enjoying themselves in their usual stupid summer afternoon fashion. She had had three afternoons of this sort of thing, sitting up nicely and keeping tidy, listening to conversation and watching monotonous needles and crochet hooks. Living up to a reputation for sublimated perfection such as she had been having to sustain is no light matter. Rhonda longed for escape. She wanted to play with Cecil. But her mother was sewing and it was try-on time. She was turned about, pulled this way and that, and asked to stand still on both feet while her mother fitted and fussed over her. Finally, she emerged from the fidgety ordeal, pink, frocked and charming, but very out of sorts. "'How dear she looks!' exclaimed Arnie June. "'Don't you just love her in pink, Louise?' "'Louise loves her in pink or in brown or in drab,' volunteered Uncle Reg. Rhonda was decidedly tired of all this sugared approval. As soon as opportunity offered, she made her escape and again took observations. Cecil was still on the lawn playing by himself. He ran around into her garden via the side entrances. It was very pleasant here, far from the older people, 
and now they could do as they pleased for a while. "'What shall we play, Cecil?' Rhonda inquired in an eagerly expectant little voice. "'Well, we're going to have some big fun,' he predicted hopefully. "'We ought to think up something special.' "'Yes, something new and very special,' she seconded enthusiastically. Half a dozen schemes were rejected as not quite equal to the occasion. I'd just as soon play ball, the boy finally suggested. Oh, ball is so uneasy, Rhonda objected, still bent on something special. We might play house, he proposed. That's no fun, she replied unmoved. You most always choose it, he reminded her. But it isn't special, she argued. Cecil stared blankly for a moment and then sat down beside her in the hammock. His down-sitting and her uprising were unexpectedly empathic and spectacular. "'Oh, Cecil, you always jiggle or something!' she cried exasperated. Whenever they began to dispute, Cecil and Rhonda were well on the way to a really good time. It was proof of the genuineness of their friendship that it stood the test of habitual disagreements. I didn't do that on purpose, he answered conciliatingly. Rhonda accepted his apology and they readjusted themselves in the hammock. You're awfully thin-legged, Cecil, she observed, as she stared at the boy's long bare legs and sandaled feet stretched out before him. She even stuck her own plump extremities out in complacent parallels and with shifting, lowered eyes made her silent and insinuating comparisons. Cecil jerked his feet back under the hammock, drawing out an embarrassed, Oh! Presently, he said, I think I'll go indoors. I'm tired. Each of them knew that this was a mere threat, but the threat had its definite significance. They had enjoyed quarrelling long enough and had really better do something. Rhonda thought a moment. Let's make gobblelinks, she suggested resourcefully. Rhonda always rose to an emergency. Then, to make it doubly enticing, with father's new red ink, she exclaimed. Red ink and black ink. That's bully, cried Cecil. Gobblelinks! For a blissful half hour, they made gobblelinks on the veranda steps. Between them, the two bottles of ink, mother's writing pad, and two brushes from Rhonda's watercolour box, the outfit. Rhonda made the first one from red ink. Dipping her paintbrush into the bottle, she lifted a sparkling drop and transferred it to the right half of her paper, then deftly folded the left edge over the right and with a chubby fist creased the folder, flattening out the imprisoned drop. With expectant eagerness, she unfolded the paper and showed the admiring Cecil a big, sprawling blotch. What is it, Cecil? A lobster. No, or else a spider, persisted the literal Cecil. Rhonda's face fell. Was there then nothing more to this creation of her hand? She examined her gobblelink critically. It was elaborately beautiful, and she viewed it with happy satisfaction. 
It's a chandelier in a big cathedral, all glass, she interpreted with pride. Then Cecil made a tropical butterfly with wonderful markings on its wings. It's beautiful and fancy, Rhonda ejaculated admiringly. But Cecil, she cautioned, you mustn't get it too inky or it runs over the edge, you see? Both children were lost in self-admiration when two dancing clowns appeared with polka dots and bells and pointed toes. Just like the circus ones, only funnier, cried Cecil. The needle dumb and needle day, screamed Rhonda, jumping up and down, clapping her hands excitedly. Let's make a whole circus, Cecil proposed wildly. All right, agreed Rhonda, and Cecil... Let's use both inks at once. In the convulsions attending this supreme creation, over went both bottles of ink. A frightful red and black gobble ink of gigantic proportions plumped down on the steps between them. Cecil jumped to his feet. I... I think maybe my mother wants me to go in, he stammered, moving uneasily about. No, Cecil, you must help get this up, said Rhonda decidedly. You get a broom, quick. He did so and swished it through the ink puddle, splattering red and black spots generously over Rhonda's white shoes and socks and bare fat legs. Those legs of which she had lately been so inordinately proud. She did not consider them for long. As a tot of most five, she possessed considerable initiative. She cleared Cecil from the scene and with a mop from the kitchen went briskly to work. But the ink wouldn't come off the steps, though it did seem to get everywhere else, especially on her new pink dress. Cecil appeared with a pan of water and again tried to help her. They worked earnestly for a few minutes, then... Rhonda, Dodie dear, where are you? Rhonda recognised the gentle fondness of the voice. Auntie June came through the house and stood paralysed in the doorway. Cecil, choosing the better part of valour, disappeared at once. Auntie June remained helplessly regarding this smunchy red and black copy of the pink and white Rhonda. Then she questioned sternly, Rhonda Bronson, what have you been doing now? Rhonda sidled away from her. Of course, what she had been doing was trying with all her little might to repair the accident. But she didn't say so. Something in her aunt's voice made her feel that it was no use trying to explain. She put her hands behind her and stood up straight. "'came Aunt Charlotte in great haste. "'What a sight!' said she. "'Auntie June only looked at her. "'Rhonda felt very uncomfortable, "'not so much from a sense of wrongdoing, "'but because she was evidently being put in a very wrong light. "'Why did you try to clean it up, Rhonda? "'Why didn't you call someone?' I wonder if Louise lets her play with ink, pursued Aunt Charlotte distractedly. Rhonda did not attempt to answer. Together her aunts looked her over critically. Come, 
Let's see if I can get some of that ink off, said Aunt Charlotte resignedly. After a severe course of scrubbing, with strenuous application of pumice stone and slices of lemon, Rhonda was dingily presentable. It was not with pleasure that she looked forward to joining her relatives in the sitting room. But when her aunt held the door open for her, she steeled herself for the worst and faced what seemed to her an accusing multitude of grandfolks. Aunt Charlotte, with manifest lack of delicacy, unfurled the ink-stained dress like a captured flag of dishonour. "'Is there anything that can be done to it, Mother?' she asked, displaying the ugliest stain to the horrified group. "'Isn't it too bad?' sighed Grandma. "'Louise ought to forbid Rhonda playing with that boy, Cecil.' Rhonda pointed to old Tom, curled up in a catnap on his worn-out pillow, and turned to her grandmother with a commendable effort at sociability. Grandma, I like little cats and little dogs and little chickies. She seems such an indifferent child, lamented Grandma, so unconcerned after being so naughty. Would they never begin talking to her again? Just when she was feeling utterly deserted, her mother appeared. Rhonda ran to meet her. The little girl was very pretty in her fresh white frock, but her hands and legs were comically spotted with both red and black spots, somewhat dimmed, but still defiantly visible. Mrs Bronson looked at her tattooed youngster and began to laugh. Grandma and the aunts remained serious. Only Uncle Reg answered her laugh with a quick glance of amusement. "'What's happened to her?' Mrs Bronson inquired, still laughing. "'Just look at this!' exclaimed Aunt Charlotte, again displaying the pink dress. "'Oh, that's too bad,' said Mrs Bronson. "'I'm so sorry to have it spoil the first time, but maybe I can get it out. How did it happen?' "'Making gobble links, mother!' Rhonda explained hopefully, with eyes fixed on her face. "'And both ink spilled, Mother, and we cleaned it,' she continued cheerfully. "'You ought to see those veranda steps, Louise,' interrupted Auntie June. Finally, Mrs Bronson picked up the pink dress and went inside, seemingly not greatly upset by the unfortunate occurrence. "'She and Rhonda both take it rather calmly, it seems to me,' remarked Aunt Charlotte." I never saw a child take things so lightly, said Grandma. She doesn't listen to a word. She doesn't care one bit that she's being naughty. Really, in this atmosphere of disapproval and open discussion of her misdeeds, Rhonda was fast becoming very much concerned. But still, she would not show it. Uncle Reg, Johnny Strobe makes his cow run awful fast, Rhonda broke in nonchalantly. And it isn't good for cows. She moved uneasily to the window and looked up the village street where a very small boy was driving a very large cow at breakneck speed. You're right, said Uncle Reg with great show of concern. Something ought to be done about it. Sweetheart, come here, said Auntie June with an effort of quiet seriousness. Auntie June loves a good little girl and good little girls are always sorry when they do wrong 
and make everybody feel badly? Is Auntie June's little sweetheart sorry she was naughty and spoiled the pretty pink dress? Over the child's face there passed an expression altogether too tragic for so small a countenance. It was fleeting, not from shallowness or insincerity, but because it could not remain for long without disastrous results. Rhonda tumbled through her poor disordered thoughts for the most pleasantly presentable one. I think you look just lovely in this dress, Auntie June, all white and lacy. I just love it. Uncle Reg, with a queer expression on his face, sauntered about the room for a few minutes, then went out to the kitchen. Mrs Bronson stood by the kitchen table, soaking the pink dress in buttermilk. Why don't you stay in the other room where it's cool, Reg? Too much for me, he responded. Couldn't keep my face straight a minute longer. What's wrong? asked Mrs Bronson. Oh, they're still working up a tragedy out of that ink spot, he explained rather impatiently. Everybody's pitching on to the poor kid. Rhonda's the only cheerful one in the bunch. Rhonda never admits she's sorry, as long as she's being scolded, said her mother. As delightfully unrepentant as a kitten, observed Uncle Reg, with his little amused smile. She feels sorry about it, though, her mother maintained. Even bedtime failed to re-establish sympathetic relations. White-gowned and barefooted, Rhonda went the usual good night round, distributing her warm little kisses and her soft little caresses to each member of the family in turn. The sweet performance usually brought forgiveness for the bad day or benediction for the good day. But tonight it was an uncomfortable formality. The child felt it keenly, though she pretended stoically not to care. There was some comfort in the way Mother tucked her into the smooth bed, with more tenderness than usual. But now that her mother had gone, the room seemed very big and unfamiliar, with no end to the darkness. Lonesome darkness, with voices sounding through it from the faraway sitting room. A feeling of abject misery choked the child, already overwrought with pent-up emotion. She could not get to sleep, and after a long time the queer feeling in her throat began to alarm her. She was just thinking she would call mother when she heard soft footsteps and felt her dear mother's presence beside her. Rhonda, dear, haven't you gone to sleep yet? she questioned anxiously. My eyes haven't any sleepy in them, mother. I have a queer feeling. It hurts in my throat and all over me. Mrs. Bronson held the back of her hand to the child's flushed cheek. Rhonda, what is the pain like? Mother wants to know just exactly how it hurts. It feels queer, mother. Just awful. I feel just about like a boy, mother. Just about like a boy, I believe. Yes, mother understands, said Mrs. Bronson with amused relief. But you feel better now with Mother here, I am sure. Let's make the pillow just as fluffy as we can, ready for Rhonda to go to sleep. Mother shook up the pillow and adjusted it to its place. Rhonda let her head sink into it with relaxation. 
Sing a little song to me, Mother, please. Mrs. Bronson continued a soft humming for a few moments. She was just ready to steal away when a question was popped to her. Where is God, Mother? Is he just like clouds? Oh, no, Rhonda. We don't know just what God is like. Only he is good and kind and loves us. And forgives us when we are naughty? She corrected questioningly, disturbed at the omission of this essential doctrine. Yes, dearie. I'd a little rather have Grandma and Auntie June forgive me, she sighed thoughtfully. I wish I could think of something to make them happy just now. Grandma and Auntie June are happy. No, Mother, they're just miserable, and I'm just miserable too. Rhonda, what are you talking about? About spilling ink on my pink dress. The floodgates were down at last. Don't cry, dearie. Mother will make you a new pink dress. This was not the point. But Grandma and Auntie June won't ever forgive me. She sobbed miserably. Yes, they will, dear. They didn't know you felt sorry. Why didn't you tell them instead of acting as if you didn't care? Mother, I just have to behave that way. I just have to, was her only explanation of justification. Mother knew you were sorry, dear. She took the tired baby in her arms and comforted her in a mother's way. The child snuggled to her with a soft confidence. I just love you, Mother. Soon she gave a tired little sigh and dropped to sleep. Her mother lingeringly smoothed the covers and bent tenderly to kiss a tear-washed cheek, then stole softly away. Louise, you ought not to stay with Rhonda when you put her to bed. Why, Mother? I seldom stay with her five minutes, but tonight her mind was so busy she couldn't get to sleep. What was the child talking about? Everything. I haven't had so many questions I couldn't answer since the Johnson children told her about hell. During the next half hour, the grand folks were alternately in smiles and tears as Mrs Bronson recounted her conversation with poor abused Rhonda. How strange for a child to suppress her feelings so. I had no idea she thought so seriously, said Grandma. I thought I understood children, but everyone is different, she conceded. We were brutes, grown-up brutes to that innocent child, said contrite Aunt June. I feel as if I deserve... Don't annihilate yourself too completely, June, advised the philosophical uncle. We all know your brute instincts overmastered you. I was awful. We all were, she persisted from the uttermost depths of self-abasement. I feel like waking her up and begging for forgiveness. After breakfast next morning, Rhonda joined Cecil on the lawn, where for a quarter of an hour he had been cavorting and whooping about madly. Grandma watched her go. Poor child, she exclaimed inconsistently for the youngster was already frisking gaily on a perfectly good pair of legs restored to all their former comeliness. 
Rama was still a bit confused in her comprehension of her paradoxal granddaughter. This morning, Auntie June had promised Rhonda to make her a new dress, all lacy and fancy, and one just like it for Elsie May, her doll. Rhonda had accepted these delicate overtures with silent gratitude and was deliciously happy in the returning warmth of love. But all the while, she kept her eye on the performer outside. The End I do hope you enjoyed this engaging story. One, though, that does illustrate that as adults we can act unjustly towards children. How much better to laugh at messy situations and good-humouredly demonstrate remaining peaceful and calm when faced with such incidents. Please subscribe and follow this podcast and share it with your family and friends. I hope you enjoy a lovely week and I look forward to being with you next week when I again share stories from before.